The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan on News Talk. We're almost there at the far side of Christmas. Still a few days to go, still a few days' work uh, for our politicians. One of them with me now in studio, Minister for Health, uh, Stephen Donnelly. Minister, you're welcome. Kieran, uh, thanks to the for having me. Um, so, the National Maternity Hospital, uh, this move to the uh, Vincent's campus in uh, South Dublin. Um, it moved a step closer today to reality. What happened? Yeah, we've taken a really important step this week, a 50 million euro step this week. Got a memo before government updating them on the commencement of the enabling works. So in order for the main hospital to be built, there are a bunch of things that have to be done on site in terms of moving facilities and, and moving beds and other things. It's a very big piece of work. It's 50 million euro. And we're getting on with it critically while the tender process goes on for the main hospital. So in the past, what might have happened is these things happen one at a time and it takes forever and a day. Mm. Now, it still takes a long time, too long in my opinion. But by doing these things in parallel, it means that we'll be able to open this hospital sooner and the difference it is going to make for care for women and infants is going to be uh, fantastic and badly needed. There's going to be an extra 80 rooms, all single occupancy rooms. Uh, One of my own kids was born in Hollis Street uh, and while I have nothing but respect for the staff, the conditions that they and the women uh, are being asked to uh, be in, uh, we all know, completely unfit for purpose. Five theatres, 24 birthing rooms, new pregnancy, fetal assessment and ultrasound facilities. It's going to be a state-of-the-art hospital. And today is, it's only one step, but it's Mm. an important 50 million euro step in making that a reality. What lessons have been learned in terms of tendering from the National Children's Hospital that won't be repeated here? Several. Uh, One of them is, is to parallel process, right? So don't do everything sequentially. Uh, it takes the state too long to build things. It takes us too long to build hospitals and, and, and other things. We, we we know that. So number one, do as much as you can in parallel. So, for example, for the National Materni- Maternity Hospital, we have the detailed design fully complete. We have planning in place. We're starting the enabling works now and we're getting on with the tender for the main hospitals. So that's the first thing. The second big call we've made is to make the HSE the contracting party. There were several workshops and experts brought together and lessons learned from the Children's Hospital, which is is over 90% complete. But I think everyone would accept uh, we would do things somewhat differently. And we are now with with the maternity hospital. The HSC is going to be the main contracting party, which I think will be important as well in making sure that all the different parts, all the different pieces of the puzzle hmm. uh, can work together. Uh, so if, the, if there are issues with the contractor, as there has been with the National Children's Hospital, it will be the HSE pursuing them in the courts as the contracting party. Ultimately, it could be. But first and foremost... They're not enough to be doing. Well, they do. But but we're, we're investing in capital capacity within the HSE. Some of the capital team, I was down in Wexford uh, earlier on this year. I was looking at the rebuilding of the hospital after the fire damage. I met with some of the capital team and they made a really important point to me. They said, look, the, the capital budget has gone up by threefold over the last number of years, which is fantastic. And it's yeah. why we're seeing some real progress now. But the number of staff they have to deliver that hasn't gone up anything like that. So in the budget for next year, we're hiring more expertise, more project management, more engineers to help deliver these projects. And can I just say... We only ever talk about, really talk about the capital projects that are over budget or over time, and that's fine. But but in fact, uh, I, I'm opening new buildings, new primary care centres regularly around the country, and the HSC 
by and large, does deliver on time and on budget. We we all accept that they're, they're, the exception to that is the children's hospital, but they, they are good at what they do in capital. Are you now confident that there will be no religious or Vatican influence on the care provided at the new National Maternity Hospital on I've the Vincent's o- I site? I have always been confident. I, I said very clearly that I would never bring a proposal to government or to the Oireachtas or, more importantly, to the people of Ireland if I thought there could be any religious or other uh, influence on it. It is the law of the land, 100%. And as I say to everyone, Kieran, and as I say to your listeners, you don't have to listen to me. You don't have to believe me. Listen to the doctors in Hollister. Well, they're, they're the people I brought into the committee. They're yeah. the people who gave the clear testimony. Peter Boylan's the former master of Hollister. Now, he has been critical, not not, not uh, critical uh, kind of in totality, but he's critical of aspects of it. He still is. We spoke to him earlier today about this and he says he still has some reservations because we haven't seen and they've never published correspondence between the religious orders, bishops and the Vatican. We're kind of taking their word, mm. effectively, is really? how he, he described it. Are, are we just taking their word? We're, we seem to be in some kind of Da Vinci Code novel with secret Vatican papers. I was asked this as a serious question by a journalist once, and I, I thought she was I thought she was just winding me up. What about the secret Vatican papers? First of all... <laughs> well, I don't think they're secret Vatican. Maybe all, that's well, how she sorry, That it. was the question, right? Peter Boylan described them as just unpublished correspondence yeah, to, do with, to do with how the religious order will deal with the hospital on their site. Sorry, the religious order's gone. The religious order's gone. They have no position in this. They, it isn't their site. They have handed everything over, right? So people have a choice. They can listen to uh, one well-respected retired doctor, for very good reason. He is well-respected and he played an important uh, role in, in repeal. Uh, and I would always respect that. Or they can listen to all of the existing doctors and nurses working in Hollis Street, many of whom stood shoulder to shoulder with me and others on repeal. And they are the people working in the hospital and they would never countenance a hospital where they would be told by any religious ethos uh, what they can and cannot do in terms of providing care to their patients. So this isn't the only uh, announcement you've made today. You you made another announcement with regard to hospices. So at the moment, there's four hospices in the state that still fundraise in order to do the basics, pay staff their wages, pay the electricity bills and do all that. They do get a level of state funding, but almost every other hospice is fully funded uh, by the state. Now, they're still fundraised, but that's for extra things, maybe new buildings, maybe extensions. What's happening? What's changing? We are to, so this was the second memo before government. So two two nice memos this morning. We're allocating 19 million euro in annual funding. So this is a big, big increase in funding to these four hospices. It's Cork, Limerick, Galway and St. Francis hospices, which are in Rohini and Blanchardstown. And this essentially now makes all of the the uh, adult specialist hospices in Ireland state funded. As you said, Kieran, what that means is uh, they're, they're they're strongly supported by their communities. In Wicklow, the Wicklow Hospice gets huge support. My own children, I think, uh, sponsored bricks in the physical building. And what this means is that the fundraising from now on can go into... Um, new infrastructure, new services, new equipment. So, for example, I was speaking to the Galway team today and they said this is a game changer for them. It means they can now build a brand new state-of-the-art hospice for the people in that region. It puts the hospices on a permanent, sustainable financial footing. 
Uh, and it's part of this year, we'll have spent about 130 million on the hospices. Our palliative care, I think your listeners, many of them will have experienced the difference between uh, palliative care for one of our loved ones who's either very sick or dying um, and not getting palliative care mm. and being in a ward surrounded by other people in an environment that we just don't want for people who are uh, who are in that part of their care. I think the palliative care movement in Ireland is one of the best things that is happening in healthcare. Uh, so you've been minister for three and a half years? Yeah. Three and a half years. Is it an indictment of that term, not withstanding COVID, that the INMO were out yesterday describing 2023 as the worst year on record for hospital overcrowding? Yeah, well, so first of all, it's not the worst year. But I'm going to come back to that because I want to make one thing very clear. It is not acceptable to have people waiting on trolleys in overcrowded emergency departments. It has never been acceptable. Uh, and it is one of the top priorities for me and for government, right? So that's that's our starting point. We should have no one waiting on trolleys for, for a long period of time. Now, here, here are the actual figures. In fact, um, in the second half of this year, we've seen a 20% reduction versus last year of the number of people on trolleys. In the full year, we've seen a 6% reduction versus last year. And critically for the over 75s, we've seen an 11% reduction in the number of patients on trolleys. That's not for a moment to suggest that it's all done. It's not. But here's what we know, Kieran. We know that about eight hospitals account for about half of the patients on trolleys. We also know that there are hospitals with Why a similar... Why is that? So I, I, you look, I, it's fascinating when people can go to the IDMO website and look at the breakdown on a day-to-day basis. I know there's other kind of trolley numbers as well, but let's just stick with the ones that get quoted most often. The IDMO, and, and they break them down and right beside each other, University Hospital Limerick and University Hospital Waterford, one of them generally triple figures, one of them single figures. Day after day after day. Now, are the people of the southeast that much healthier than the people of the southwest? Is it a management issue or is it a capacity issue? There are two issues and it's different in different hospitals. The two issues are capacity and reform. The the HICWA inspector, so our regulator, they go in and look at the emergency departments all the time. He said in a report in the last few days that we know how to do this right. Waterford has no patients on trolleys, hasn't had a patient on trolley in years. Portleash, Tullamore, other hospitals are doing really well. And the point he made was... We, and this is the converse, the ongoing conversation with the HSC and they are implementing this. What works in those hospitals, we need to see everywhere. So you mentioned Limerick. So mm. let me give, give, give me one second on Limerick, right? So first of all, the INMO figure for Limerick today is 88 people. Mm-hmm. Now, what, what your listeners will think is that that means there are 88 patients on corridors in the emergency department. In fact, of the 88, there are 17 in the emergency department. Now, there shouldn't be any. But there's not 88, there's 17. There's 31 in a ward and there's another 40 in what are called surge beds, which are fully staffed ward beds. Um, However, there still shouldn't be the 17 in the ED and there shouldn't be the 31 in the wards waiting to get, you know, waiting for the next patient to be discharged so they can get into the bed. They're still on a trolley. That's the first thing to say. The second thing to say is Limerick is a good example. When I went there three years ago, they said, we need more capacity. We need more beds. We need more emergency medicine consultants. Mm -hmm. We need more consultants. We need more uh, discharge beds. We need more nurses. Okay. We've done all of that. Yeah. However, if you look at weekend discharge, the the percentage of patients discharged over the weekend, it's probably the best indicator for the hospitals that are running a good seven-day service. The second worst there is... Limerick. So they don't they don't they don't discharge people at the weekend. 
they are the second worst in the country yeah. at it. So it's right. a management issue. I said you, you call it reform, which is a way of criticising them without overtly criticising them. It's management. It's bad management. It's both. It's both. They, they have said to me, we need more beds. And they're right. Right, so we've we've uh, funded a lot more. We funded safe staff. So you, uh, you're arguing, we've done our part. It's time for you to do yours. I would say, and we your are. your part is start discharge, start working at the weekends and discharging people. I'd say we're in the middle of doing our part. So there's 200 beds under construction on the Limerick site at the moment. They still need those beds, right? It's not to say they don't need the beds; they do. But we have to see seven day discharge. We have to see what we know works in Waterford, Portleash, Tullamore. Uh, the matter, other places, we have to see that consistently across the country. But can I just re-emphasize, because yeah. your, your listeners, I would imagine, would be surprised to hear that in the second half of this year, there's more than 20% less patients on trolleys than there were last year. It's not to defend what's where we're at, but but important progress has been made. And the reason the reason it's important to say it is because it is the blood, sweat and tears of our incredible healthcare workers that are delivering it and we need to recognise the progress they're making on our behalf. Before I let you go, should Robbie Keane reconsider his position as the manager of Maccabi Tel Aviv? I think it Mary was... Mary Lou MacDonald thinks I, he should. I think it was very wrong of Mary Lou MacDonald to, to single out any individual. Is she now going to give a list of Irish people working in Israel and say they all need to, ah, uh, they but all no, need so to come we, we do put the likes of Hugo McNeil and Moss Keane and others on a pedestal for standing up for what they believed in and not going to play rugby in apartheid South Africa. But what are we going to do? Are we going to look at all the Irish people working in Israel and say you need to come home? Are we going to look at Israelis working here and say you're not welcome? Like we're absolutely not going to do that. I don't think it's right. Don't get me wrong. The Hamas attack was horrific and the and the new evidence we have coming out on it in terms of people who've witnessed some of the stuff going on, it would make your blood run cold. The Israeli response is horrific. Uh, 70% of those being killed, women and children. It's horrific what's going on. But I don't think we should be bringing it down to Irish citizens or individual uh, Israeli or Palestinian citizens. I don't think that's helpful. Minister for Health, Stephen Donnelly. Minister, thanks a million uh, for joining us here in studio. The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan. Weekdays from four on News Talk.